Time for us to check in with Vaughn Palmer from the Vancouver Sun. Good morning, Vaughn. Good morning, Simi. And hey, thank you for that Lana Papa moment so that great, you just right? ran. <laughs> so good. You know, imagine what it must be like as a cabinet minister sharing a platform with her. You know, you're Mike Farmer, Solicitor General. Uh, I've got an update on the state of emergency. Or you're Rob Fleming, uh, Transportation Minister. <laughs> uh, I have a new schedule for reopening the highways. You're Lana Popham, and you go, I have a story about the birth of a calf named Miracle, and everyone else goes, oh, God, she's upstaged this again. Yes, right? Because that's all anybody's going to talk about is, aw, Miracle, aww. the calf. That's adorable. I'm surprised that's they true. didn't name the calf Lana, actually, but anyway. You know what? Somebody on. will. You just mentioned that. I'm sure somebody out there will do yeah. that. Uh, there was a lot to talk about from what happened yesterday. Can we just start with this whole, we're going to get a rapid test policy next yeah. week situation? Yeah, hey, we're getting a rapid test policy wow. next week. Now, who knew such a thing was possible, right? There's a, there's a picture this morning of students lined up around the block at the University of I Toronto that, to, yeah. get, to get rapid tests. In Nova Scotia, they're, they're taking the tests and they're putting them in that miracle device, the Ziploc bag, and handing them out for free. But here in British Columbia, we just haven't got around to doing it because it's so damn complicated getting them out of the box. So that was all dismissed and discounted. Dr. Bonnie Henry has been in no enthusiasm for rapid tests from the beginning. But yesterday, Adrian Dix had an update on the week's briefing, and he said there's a rapid test strategy coming next week. This reminds me of what happened with Alert Ready. For the longest time, the British, British claim was the only province that wasn't making any use of it, and it didn't work, and we don't like it, and we're not going to use it. And then there was a huge outcry around uh, the flooding and so forth that they weren't using it, and suddenly, hey, we're going to start using the Alert Ready system. So once in a while, our government gets shamed into doing the right thing. It would seem that way. So I'll be very curious as to what this is all about. Like, did they find a way to put the stuff into Ziploc bags and start using it? Well, you know, the, the national stats show that British Columbia's got, I don't know, a couple of million rapid tests are already here. The federal government's promising more. And there's arguments about which test works the best. There are arguments about how effective it is. But the point has been made for a long time that it's a useful tool uh, to uh, reassure people to manage the pandemic. The, the only argument against using it that I've heard that struck me as maybe having some merit is early on, there was a concern, early on in the vaccination drive, there was a concern that if you made rapid tests available to people, they would use rapid testing as an excuse not to get vaccinated. And rapid tests are not infallible. Right, but aren't we past that now? Uh, that was my thought, too. We're way past it, but, you know, British Columbia at times has been slow to respond. You, you heard the same argument yesterday with Dix over booster shots, right? So uh, other jurisdictions are stepping up booster shots because of the growing evidence that boosters are better protection against the Omicron variant. British Columbia is still sick, sticking to a six-month to eight-month schedule. And he asked Dix about it. He says, well, you know, we're uh, following the direction of NASI. Now, this is a very convenient line of defense for the B.C. government 
Because often the line is, hey, we have our own pandemic response here in B.C. because we have our own pandemic here in B.C. So we don't necessarily follow all the directives elsewhere. But when it suits them, oh, hey, we're following the NACI directive. So, you know, I've said it a bunch of times, the British Columbia government doesn't do itself any favors by this kind of foot-dragging, by the lack of transparency, and by the constantly shifting explanations for what they do. And the main area, Jitsimi, where they don't do themselves any favors, is when they get it right, it's harder to persuade the public that they've gotten it right because of the times they've gotten it wrong and won't admit that they got it wrong. Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking. Um, Let's talk about the travel situation, too, because we heard from the Prime Minister on this, and the Premier is backing that up. Yes, Premier John Horgan uh, was out right away uh, backing up the Prime Minister, saying he agrees with the don't travel advice. Now, the Premier is working from home mostly, uh, taking radiation treatment for his cancer, but he did chair the uh, meeting of the Premiers uh, with the Prime Minister. And uh, contrary to what Jason Kenney of Alberta is saying, uh, there was a, the, the Premier of BC certainly agreed with the Prime Minister on the, on the don't travel ban and, or don't travel guideline. And I noticed Adrian Dix came out yesterday and repeated it as well. This is a very important stand by the province of British Columbia. It's one of those areas where, in my view, they're getting it right. I know, because I've heard from them, people are finding it very hard, having already planned Travel International, to cancel. Uh, They need to travel. They need it for their mental health. It's going to cost them to cancel. I hear all that. But the message I took from what the Premier said yesterday was travel at your own risk and assume the risk. So make sure your health insurance covers you if you go to some place and come down with COVID-19. Make sure you're covered if you go to some place and travel changes and travel shuts down as it has in the past. And frankly, if you get sick, I'm sorry, but Um, don't necessarily go looking for the federal government to send a bunch of planes to rescue you and bring you home. I expect Canada will do that, but really I think that's what's behind this warning from the federal government is, look, don't travel because we know we're going to be stuck with having to bring you home if you get stranded. Right. I know. that's, And yet that's what a lot of people are struggling with, right? Yeah. Because there's no help if they cancel. They paid for stuff. There's, oh, it's, look. It's a mess. It's, it's totally unfair. And it's the nature of the world in which we live, right? Like, no, there's no guarantees against any of this stuff. But, you know, somebody told me yesterday, he said, just try to get in good health insurance against COVID-19 if there's a federal don't travel advisory. Like, that's the real risk you're running. Uh, You're not necessarily going to be covered. Every Canadian knows what happens to you if you get stuck in the U.S. with their health care system and you're sick and you have to go into a hospital. You could be paying for that for the rest of your life. So, you know, it is a very tough call, but I know that there are people out there that are going, well, I'm going to eat the costs, cancel, because I don't want to run the risk. Exactly. All right, let's talk about some of the other good news that we heard. And that Coca-Cola story is amazing. It really is. 
and uh, I was really struck. Uh, the highways minister actually did have a miracle story himself yesterday, Rob Fleming. And, you know, uh, this is a highway that was, what, broken in 20 places a month ago, and it's going to be reopened obviously limited conditions uh, for truck traffic and intercity buses, and that'll take some of the pressure off of Hope Princeton. So I was really struck by all that. Um, The one thing that the highways minister didn't acknowledge, and look, he's busy and maybe it was just an oversight, but it struck me as important, is one of the reasons BC was able to respond so quickly uh, and restore the highway, get a temporary bridge in place, get some of the roads cleared and the landslides cleared was because there were already significant work crews and resources in the area. And the reason for that is because of the construction of the Trans Mountain Pipeline expansion. So as it happens, uh, Trans Mountain has been in the process of building the twinned pipeline follows the same route as the existing pipeline, and it often follows the route of the Coquihalla Highway. So they had workers and crews in there. As a result, they were able to get a couple of hundred workers and a lot of equipment in place right away. They got a temporary bridge over the Coquihalla of the uh, over the Coldwater River right away. They had seven helicopters, 200 pieces of equipment, 400 workers away. And that helped. That isn't to say that the highways crews didn't do their job and didn't do a lot of work. But really, if you wanted to tell the whole story, Fleming could acknowledge that the B.C. government didn't much like the Trans Mountain expansion project. But in this case, it was good luck uh, that all those workers were there. Yeah, I, I just think the, the, the some of those before and after pictures were just yeah. amazing to look at because if you any of us who saw yeah. those pictures a month ago or a couple of weeks ago thought, oh, there's no way, no way, yeah. it's going to be ages before that's open. Yeah, no, I, I mean, uh, Trans Mountain uh, put a bunch of pictures out of their work too, and I think they had the first temporary bridge in place, and it was up and across the Goldwater River in about ten days. They they diverted the river in a few places. Um, they also lent a lot of help to the communities out there. Trans Mountain uh, helped a couple of First Nations communities and got profuse thanks for them. They they had the resources. They went in because emergency services was overwhelmed. Uh, Trans Mountain even sent some trucks and sandbags and workers to help uh, protect the pumping station at Sumas Prairie when it was in danger of being overwhelmed. So you know, the B.C. government has acknowledged that Trans Mountain did a great job getting the the existing pipeline open. Uh, But as I said, if uh, at some point they get around telling the full story of what happened, uh, they should give a nod to the TMX uh, crews uh, that happened to be there and that happened to help. Absolutely. All right, Vaughn, thank you. Bye-bye, Simi.